Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it has been a few weeks, but I am happy to say it is a great day to be a Cincinnati University of Cincinnati sports fan. That sounds awkward. Yeah, we got we got to work on that one, buddy. We'll we'll do it again next week. We'll see what happens. But it is good to be talking to you, sir. After interviewing B Fox on the podcast, I'd say probably a month ago at this point. Uh, look, I guess we were totally taken aback and overwhelmed by his essence and his presence on our on our podcast, and we had to take a few weeks off. But I'm glad to be sitting here in front of you on Zoom talking to you again. We've got Bearcat football news to discuss. We've got some basketball news to discuss. And uh, let's just see how things go. So uh, what do you what do you want to talk about today, Hummer? So was it was it Butch Fawcett Fox's presence? You know, or was it was it Brandon Fox's presence? Or was it or was it the fact that school started back up and now you are playing the role of teacher, mentor, and everything else in this world? <laughs> yeah, this uh, this we've got busy times in the Coomer household, that's for sure. Uh, Cincinnati Public Schools are remote for the first five weeks, so we will be doing everything here in CASA for the foreseeable future. It's an interesting time. Life is busy. Look, life can be overwhelming right now, too. There is a lot of weirdness in the world. I don't want to get into all of it because I spend enough of my time thinking about it and talking about it uh, offline. So as with today, we'll focus on the fun stuff, which is Bearcat sports, Uh, the Bearcat football team has finished up training camp at higher ground. They're back on campus. We've even got some media members, official media members like Chad Brendel, Justin Williams, Keith Jenkins attending practice again. That's refreshing to see. Um, But the biggest news in Bearcats land, I would say we should start with this, is the fact that Luke Fickle has agreed to a contract extension through 2026 with the Cincinnati Bearcats, paying him 3.4 million annually and giving him $3.85 million annually for his assistant coaching staff. Um, it's putting him, I think, in the range of 40 to 41st highest paid coach in college football. It, look, it wouldn't seem like an incredibly impressive number, but for Bearcat football, this is a big deal. It locks in a coach who's, been, who's made this program extremely exciting. Uh, his, his recruiting seems to improve year in, year out, and it's just an exciting time to be around the Bearcat football team what are your initial thoughts on this on this extension for Fickle? I mean, it's awful. It's terrible. It wasn't <laughs> enough. We need to give him more. Um, no, I think this is a great number. I mean, when you look at the the math, and we've kind of we've talked about this in the past, especially when we were going through the the Michigan State saga, you know, the what you had to do to raise his pay just a million dollars, and I'm actually not sure what the, I couldn't find the old coaching pools number. It doesn't seem to be a number that's published all too often, but we know that's a raise there as well. You know, over the this is a basically a four year extension, but he's getting the raise for six years. So that's six million dollars of of private money the university had to raise. So good job being able to tap a donor base to say, you know, thank you for building a multi hundred million dollar stadium for us. Now we need you to spend more money on the coach. So you know, it's a fantastic job. And what's even you know really cool about it is that. You know, we were giving John Cunningham, we were kind of raking him over the coals for the past few few months about not having an extension in place, about not doing what we were saying his job is. And apparently he's had this deal in the bag since June. 
That's hilarious. I know that was just a, a little, a little detail filed away in that Justin Williams article is that this has been agreed upon for months and that fickle wasn't all that interested in doing a big press conference about his extension with the Bearcats. And frankly, that's, that's understandable given, given the, the way of the world right now and the, the economic conditions and, and announcing a multi-million dollar extension is certainly uh, certainly a, a, would be a questionable move. I imagine if you did it with a bunch of bells and whistles, but look, it was, 100% through private money. I think that's an important detail. I did see Bearcat Twitter up in a, uh, they were upset in a tizzy over a news record article. And I, I'll say this summer, it just seems odd to me how upset we get as a fan base about articles written by the news record. Uh, guys, the student paper, it's, it's college students who are attempting to find their voice and write articles that are, doing their best to think critically about things that are happening on campus in relation to the University of Cincinnati. I missed this article. Explain to me. Uh, the, 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 the gist of the paper was, given the economic conditions of the university and the fact that there are concerns about um, having the same tuition numbers and uh, the financial distress caused by COVID-19, the concern there is how are you simultaneously going to give our head coach a pay raise, football is non-essential, et cetera, et cetera. Look, I, I would say there's, there's several flaws in the premise of the article. I'm more, <laughs> I'm worked up about people getting worked up. It's just a news record article. Relax. Now you're worked up. Everybody's Relax. worked up. We're all, we're all getting worked up. I think if we just stay on, fo we'll, we'll focus here. Fickle's extension is great news for the Bearcats. Um, we saw this past season, Michigan State came knocking. He chose the Bearcats over Michigan State. I was surprised. I, I think I was not the only person to be surprised by that. And it's the first time where you hear these stories about a coach who cares more about where he's living, his family situation, being comfortable at a university and being comfortable in the culture he has, not always looking for more. And frankly, Fickle is one of the first examples I've seen of a guy who seemed to put his, put his money where his mouth was in terms of believing in those things. He cares more about what's here at Cincinnati for him, what he can turn this into. Do I think that means he's here forever? Probably not. That's not the nature of college sports for the most part, uh, but it's still very exciting that the Bearcats are doing what they can to try and retain him for as long as possible to keep this momentum going. Because the thing is, Hummer, the better the football team does, the more likely it, it, it makes it for us to be able to move into a power conference uh, in the not so distant future. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. This article that's that's all four paragraphs long is is causing a, a, a huge ruckus. Uh, sh you know, shout out to the to the student fan group there. Uh, but I think the biggest flaw here, she she points, she said the private donors can guarantee fickle millions of millions for the next six years. Why do our adjunct professors make so little? Adjunct professors are part time employees. They're they're not even full time professors. They're literally you come in and you teach a class, and they actually pay you thousands of dollars for like. In some cases, you do a lot of work, but some cases you do almost no work except you're showing up and you're grading because if the class has already been developed, you don't have to create your own PowerPoints. A lot of times they get handed to you. You know, if it's a fresh program or you have to, you're building from scratch, sure, there's some work there. I don't, <clears throat> I don't buy that argument. You know, I'm already on the- No, it's a bad stuff. argument. It is a bad argument. I agree with people on that. Yeah, it's, it's a bad argument. I don't think it's worth getting, getting wrapped up and, and crazy over it because at the end of the day, you know, they, they've made a point. I think, you know, Butch made this point 
Butch Fox made this point last week. <laughs> He's going to have his name changed to Butch Fox. <laughs> I think he prefers Bernard, so maybe we should go Bernard, Bernard Fox. Bern, yeah, Bernard, Bernard Fox. Fox. Yeah. Bernard Fox pointed this out that, um, you know, it's a great marketing tool. It's a great marketing arm. We've seen increases in students coming to the university because, I don't want to say because of football. I can't just say, because I know academic profile has greatly increased for the university as well over the last six years as well. No one also wants to point that out. Shout, out, it, to Nan- shout out to Nancy Zimper. <clears throat> shout out to Nancy Zimper. You always will hold a special place in my heart, Nancy. Um, it's it, it's not entirely attributed to football, but it is a great marketing arm, you know, especially now. And people want to talk about COVID. Great. If the Big Ten is holding out, which we don't know if they are or which way they're going, if the Big Ten doesn't play football, Cincinnati is just going to be put on that much higher a pedestal in terms of the public eye. All of our games have been moved. If anybody hasn't noticed that, we're playing on Saturdays now. We're no longer this Thursday you know, shit fest, excuse my language, of, of college football. We're moving to the big time, baby, Saturdays, right? If that's where you want to be. You want to be playing your football on Saturdays, not on Thursdays. Friday night games are the worst. I absolutely <laughs> hate playing college football on Friday. You know, might as well just start moving every game to, to Wednesday if, if that's the case. <laughs> you know, so this is an opportunity for the university to seize the moment. And, and show it to come. We're getting picked for top near six bowls. We jumped from the polls, I believe, when they first came out from number 20 to 15 for a while. But then they decided for some reason to rank teams that aren't playing. Like, I, That'll I don't change, right? Like, as soon as we get through the first real week of college football, I imagine these rankings are going to change because you can't keep ranking Ohio State if they're not playing football games. God, that's going to be so, like – I don't know how I'm going to handle it. Just talking to all my Ohio State fans, fans being like, hey, did you catch the game last week? How are the Buckeyes <laughs> doing over there? Things going well? And it's funny because we're like joking about it, but at the same time, like it's, it's, a, it's like a tale of two stories. Like it's almost like it's hard rooting, you know, for, for football. You know, and I don't want to – I'm not going to bash on COVID. I'm not going to bash on the decisions to play or not play. But it's like, you know, you do see the stats of 35% of the students who are or athletes who are getting COVID having some sort of heart issue related to COVID. So it is kind of tearing, okay, like, yeah, I want to watch football, but, oh, I don't really want to see players getting hurt because of COVID. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, what, I, what I'm hoping for in that case is because you're right. It gives you incredibly conflicted feelings about how to feel about amateur college sports right now. I mean, these players are – are not being compensated yet. They're uh, pushing forward to fund athletic departments with huge budget deficits right now. So in in that case, what I'm hoping from our leadership, from John Cunningham, from Luke Fickle, from John Brannon, from any sport who's moving forward and playing is just to see prudent, careful behavior that's focusing on the well-being of the student athlete. And that's really all you can hope for. So far, so good as it pertains to the Bearcats from the outside looking in. Um, I would just hope that they continue putting them at the forefront in terms of making responsible decisions. And if they do that, then, uh, and the players are comfortable playing and know that they can opt out if they, if they so see fit, then, then move forward uh, because there are some things to be excited about. And I imagine this team is excited to get out there on the field because there is, look, there's probably, it seems like every year fickles here, there's more buzz the following year about what this team can do. And that's coming off to 11 win seasons how, how much farther can he take this? Well, I think there are some obvious steps we can take offensively, especially uh, to see real improvement, to see ourselves competing with bigger power programs uh, than we have in the past. Last, last thing I do want to make sure I mention, Hummer, is the fact that uh, you made a, you, you just kind of mentioned it in passing. We have been bashing John Cunningham a bit on the podcast about not getting things done or things getting done slowly. And I think, you know, one of those was 
the, the Marge Schatz name being on the baseball stadium and the, the process he went through. And I think it proved out that he handled that well because he got unanimous consent from the board to remove it from the stadium, which sends an even more resounding message to the, the Bearcat community. In terms of Fickle, he's had this agreement in place now for months. Uh, so he's, he's got that taken care of, even if it wasn't announced until uh, August. And uh, look, he's getting things, he's taking care of things in a difficult time where there's a ton of flux in terms of what's happening in the athletic program. So hopefully that translates to Cunningham behind the scenes, making things happen in terms of conference realignment, because he has, he has not shied away from mentioning that or, or, or being willing to discuss it in interviews I've heard with, with Brendel and, and Jenkins, I've heard him talk about and being willing to acknowledge the fact that they do have bigger ambitions in terms of conference alignment. They're controlling what they can control. We're going to continue dominating the American Athletic Conference to the best of our abilities. And then when the, the opportunity is there, we want to make sure we are in prime, uh, we are in everyone's mind in terms of moving to a bigger conference down the line. So I, I'm, it makes me more optimistic about his ability to navigate those waters. It's funny that you mentioned the conference realignment. Um, you know, I'm looking at Iowa and sitting there thinking, okay, you dropped four sports. You have stated that you were in deep financial trouble. Uh, and I'm trying to, I sent you the article about it a couple weeks ago, and I'm trying to remember the exact language that they used. Either way, the person who wrote this article, her, her name is Karen Weaver. Um, and she's basically likes to cover the intersection of where college sports and higher education exist. So mainly you know, if I'm reading between the lines and reading some of this stuff, she's really concerned about the finances and how and how schools interact between, you know, the, that those two different universes. And she was basically stating how it's frightening what Iowa is actually going through because there is a sense that there could be a bomb dropped at any moment that Iowa just foregoes and closes its entire athletic department down. If something like that were to ever happen, all of a sudden, there's a nice little spot for the University of Cincinnati to just slide on in. <laughs> so if I'm over here a rooting man, Iowa, I'm sorry. I'm rooting for the demise of your sports program. <laughs> yep, we're going to go ahead and replace that second Iowa team with the second Ohio team. And, and look, your conference is going to be better for it, face it. Yeah, I mean, it basically say they're, they're, that they are in a fiscal or financial emergency um, they're projected to have lost revenue of $100 million and an overall deficit of 60 to $75 million this year. Oof. Wow. Losses of that magnitude are, is, is nothing. It's, it's really hard to overcome that, you know, from, from becoming a, a, prof, a profit center. You know, if you're looking at each, each division of a university, you know, or any company for that matter, you're looking at which, which operations are profitable, which ones are losses. Typically, you run athletics as a loss leader, like i.e. a marketing program. So if you spend, say, $10 million in deficit a year for football, you're really spending $10 million a year in marketing. That's, that's essentially what you've done. You've, you've decided, I'm going to take that expense. We're going to use it to get the university's name out there to another branch, a big branch, a wide audience of people. And, but 60 to $75 million is, is, no, is no small feat. Um, really interesting to see what happens there. He's, well, it's really, it's exposed, it's exposed that these universities across the board operate their athletic departments at incredibly thin margins. There's just not a lot of wiggle room for uh, downturns in revenue, which is exactly what they're experiencing under COVID. And 
athletic departments across the country are taking drastic measures to compensate. Um, even in Cincinnati, our, our athletic department just laid off, I think, 14 full-time paid staff. I mean, it's, it's affecting real people with, with lives, and, and it's terrible. I feel awful about it. And, uh, you know, you're just hoping that your program gets through it okay with, with as little damage as possible and that these people who are unfortunately losing their jobs because of what's happening and, and the lost revenue, that they're, they're finding a way to bounce back quickly. Yeah, you got to look at it that way, too. And you also got to sit there and, and say to yourself, well, at least a lot of these big schools, most of these big schools are going to wait, wait, uh, weather this storm from a financial standpoint. You know, I would never, like I said this last week or last time with, with BFOX, you're not taking money from the general fund. You're not taking money from an uh, endowment to cover sports. That's not, that's, that's, that's not one. The political fallout that you would have amongst your donors would be just absolutely incredible. Uh, especially it's that, you know, said donor donated, you know, a million dollars to the, to the endowment fund to fund a scholarship program for, you know, international students, right? All of a sudden they said, well, wait a minute, you took $200 million of the, of the fund and you, and you put it towards sports? Well, I'm never donating ever again to this school. It, you, the political fallout would be massive have, having to do that. It would be. So, and look, I want to make sure I, I, I drive this home. When I was questioning endowment usage it's not even just for sports i'm not really i'm not i'm not going to argue that i think you're right i think you make great points about why an endowment would not be used for the athletic department i do wonder though why these massive endowments at especially larger prestigious institutions aren't considered when you're still charging students full tuition for fully remote learning like like like's happening in the ivy league i mean that does seem like a joke to me that's probably not a conversation worth happening on our cincy slang and podcast here that's what I was more curious about, though, is what the hell is the well, endowment actually for? And well, I'm probably about, naive about it. Think about it this way. Like, think about it on a personal finance. Let's take it down to a personal finance level. What do they say, say and this is a very oversimplification, they used to say the magic number for retirement is a million dollars. And then you take 4% of your, of your million dollars every year as income, right? So that's, that's $40,000. <clears> you know you're getting $40,000 every single year because you're taking 4% regardless of whether your fund is up or down, right? But then all of a sudden, say you want to do a big expense and you want to take out of your million dollars, 200 grand, right? Or a hundred grand, let's just say 10%, you know, for sake of easy math, you take out $100,000. Now you have $900,000, but you're still taking 4% of $900,000, right? So now your 40,000 has shrunk. You're no longer getting $40,000 every year. Your pool to exist in the future is now smaller. So your goal, though, for retirement is to take 4% out but have the market grow by at least 5%. So that way, every year that fund is getting bigger and your money that you live on gets bigger and accounts for inflation. The endowment fund is similar to that in terms of like what you're trying to do. It's a fund that's used to create income for the university by taking large portions of it right now when they don't really have to. Because I still say that you are getting a very good education. You're getting an education. If you want to argue about networking and whatnot, great. That's not what call it. Like, that's not the primary driver of college you're going there to learn what a freaking balance sheet is you're going there to learn about business ethics you know well that's that's just not true completely though because if that was the case you would just do this remote all the time you are paying for the that's experience of being on campus that's my point though. classes in a hall having office hours i mean those all those things are true benefits and there's a reason you're spending all that money but online programs legit online programs and i'm not trying to disparage anybody who went to the university of phoenix you know, but when you're going to the schools that are online programs, typically they're not that much cheaper, if cheaper at all, than their, than their counterparts. You know, a lot of these schools are actually figuring out that it is more expensive to run these programs 
without without people without uh, actually having on campus. A lot of these schools are actually figuring out it is more expensive because you are losing re a lot of revenue drivers that actually fund day to day expenses, i.e., dorms, the the food staff, which Cincinnati oddly enough is. I think they're all remote. The university is the classified, but they have students in dorms, which boggles my mind. Why? <laughs> that's that's a money grab right there. Uh, <laughs> that that I do find is 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 an issue because like in Philadelphia, they have really strict regulations come down from the city about what universities could do. Um, so that that part's get get me a little a little weird. But at the end of the day, university, you know, getting back to the point and not to get off this tangent, the University of Cincinnati is going to survive. And that's what's great. Of course like, it is. Yeah. We're in is. a great, we're in a pretty decent financial situation. You know, even though we do have a budget deficit, we're not looking at a balloon deficit of 60 to $75 million. You know, we have just secured what is a, a candidate for coach of the year for at least six years. But looking back at that deal, do you ever find it weird how they do buyout clauses in these contracts? I'll admit the business side of this, when we talk about contract clauses and all that kind of stuff, that's not the stuff that excites me, but I know it does you. So tell me what, tell me about your buyout take here. So uh, basically if he were, it includes a, a agreement to a $4 million buyout. If he were to, to leave the university of Cincinnati, I feel like we should be charging the coach himself that he like somehow like, like cause I know like, if, if Michigan comes in and say, Oh, we want coach Fickle and we want him in 2021. Uh, all right, so we'll have to pay the University of Cincinnati four million dollars. Like, okay, great. Why? Why so low? Like, if, if it just boggles my mind that these buyouts are just so basically, it puts no onus on the coach himself. It's like the coach has no skin in the game, even with this contract. It's just a a piece of paper that's very easy for him to say, no, I'm out, I'm gone. You know? Oh, you're right. I mean, that's that's a very fair criticism in terms of coaches being able to just sign these extensions and then bounce the next year. It's it's no thing if you've got a, a university coming that is willing to pay those buyout clauses. There's probably a reason that there's no personal attachment to the buyouts uh, in terms of what the coach is responsible for because uh, they have agents and things like that negotiating for them. And maybe that's not the case in Fickles. Uh, situation. I think he represents himself, or I, I don't know exactly how that works. But he did a great job representing himself. I'm looking at the back end because he, he, it's a four million buyout if he leaves. So it's very easy for a school with some deep pockets to come get him if they want him. But the university basically cannot fire Fickle if he has two very bad years next. Like I know that's not going to happen, but say he did. If they fired him without cause, the university owes him twenty three point eight million dollars. <laughs> We cannot fire the coach. <laughs> yeah, we're, like, we're definitely we have we have tied ourselves to the ship for better or worse. Uh, I think it's better. Don't get me wrong. I think it's yeah. a. I think he. I think we picked the right coach to tie ourselves to. But I'm just like, wait a minute. So basically, if the university's, uh, if we had to pull in Iowa and we did have to implode the apartment, we still have to pay him twenty three million dollars. <laughs> it, it's just I, I don't get those, those types of contracts, you know. Normal folks, normal working folks, we don't get those kind of contracts that, you know, if we're fired without cause, we're going to get a nice little buyout from our job. They can, our employers can terminate service from us at any point they wish for it, any reason that they choose. I don't see why that, that, that protection should only extend to getting, I guess this is getting into. Because you're not going to, he's not going to sign the extension if you don't give him those protections. I mean, there's a reason, look, I'm not, I, you're right. I don't have those protections, but I'm also not an elite college football coach who's, working in a business that generates, you know, billions of dollars. And 
I don't have the same value to my company that Luke Fickle has to the business of college football. I know the ethic. It's the ethics of it that just bothers me because it's like you basically now give him this. You give all these coaches kind of the green light to do pretty much what generally whatever they want within yes. within reason. Uh, it, it's kind of like the. It just bothers me. It, it, it's almost like it should be the other way around. Like the numbers should be flipped. If he were to leave for a new school, that school should have to pay us twenty three point eight million dollars. <laughs> and if we terminate him without cause, we should only have to pay him $4 million. Well, I know like, there's some schools that get much better uh, buyout clauses. I mean, shoot, that uh, Le- Lionel Messi was in the news about his desire to leave Barcelona, Barcelona. And he had a clause. Obviously, there was a lot of contractual language that was being debated. But one point was that if he, if it was Bar- Barcelona's interpretation of the clause, Teams would have to pay upwards of, I think, 700 million euros to buy him out and, and sign him with a new team, which makes it basically impossible to take him from Barcelona unless Messi opts out within a certain window. So, I mean, the co- contracts are fascinating. They are uh, – you can, you can create situations that are advantageous to the university or the coach – Sounds like on on Fickle's side, it's probably more advantageous to him. It makes it yeah. possible. It's probably intentional. I'm sure he wants the ability to move on because of the level of coach that he is. No, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I'm just like, in general, these types of agreements, not just Fickle's, every coach that gets these kind of – every coach. I'm not, I don't want to be pounding on Fickle as like a bad guy. He's not. He's not the, he's not the enemy in this. Right. It's the fact that a lot of coaches can get these kind of what I call sweetheart deals, you know, a golden deal, you know, golden parachute on your way out, if you would, you know, that, that part is just kind of like, eh, because at the end of the day, even if he's like fired for cause, you know, there's like, you know, going back to the Huggins situation, definitely was fired for cause, but was still able to successfully sue the university for, for parts of the buyout in his contract. And they basically came to an agreement where they settled. So even if Fickle were to go on a drunken rampage and get three DUIs uh, and the university says, we don't want that kind of publicity and he gets fired, he's still going to get a portion of a $23.8 million buyout. <laughs> That's so unrealistic, dude. No coach would ever go on those kind of benders. with that. <laughs> no money. one would. That would never happen. <laughs> well, speaking of basketball, Hummer, let's, let's talk a little bit about some basketball news we got recently, which was the fact that David DeJulius's waiver was approved. He's going to be an active member of the Bearcats basketball team for the upcoming 2021 season, whatever that looks like. That's huge news for the Bearcats. He's a transfer from Michigan. Uh, I think he's got now two years of eligibility left. Very talented, highly regarded recruit for Michigan. And this is just another piece for John Brandon to play with in a season that's going to be uh, very different in terms of what the roster looks like. Uh, but very deep. It's a very deep roster now for John Brandon. Yeah, um, it's deep, really deep. I like the way you're putting that. The question I'm asking, though, is who's the odd man out now? Because I know we we kind of went into this when we talked about the recruiting once it finally ended, the trail ended. We kind of went through who's our starting five, and we're going through that. The Julius is now definitely in that starting five, right? Is that is that that's not up for debate? It seems to be a gen- generally a consensus that DeJulius is talented enough to earn a starting spot. I mean, given the role he had for Michigan, he was essentially their sixth man at a team that was a top 25 type uh, performer for most of the season. I think 
the expectation is, is that he's going to go into the season as the starting point guard, which means he would be moving Micah Adams Woods, who was starting point guard for the Bearcats most of the season after he overtook the legendary Chris McNeil, uh, into a different role on the team. So whether Micah comes off the bench or starts at the two spot, I think Micah has that ability. I think he's clearly someone who's going to be impacted by DeJulius being eligible to play this season. The other person, you know, the other player that's clearly going to be impacted is Mike Saunders Jr. When you consider he's a freshman point guard uh, coming into a situation where there was already an established guard like Micah Adams Woods in that spot. Well, now you're not just competing against Micah. You are also competing against DeJulius. I, I, would, ju- I would just say overall, our wings, our guards, it's so deep. It's it's hard to fathom how John Brandon's going to get everyone the minutes they desire and that they feel they probably earn at practice. I ran Hear me out. I'm having, I'm having a thought. Okay, give it to me. I think we're going to see two teams rolled out. Like full five-man five man rota- uh, rotations like Calipari did back in the day. I think, I think we're going to see that. I'm looking at the roster. I'm looking at how many good players we have to fill these positions, and I could see two teams. I think essentially you're going to see that. I think he's going to be subbing guys in waves so that we can do things like full court press. I think when I think, votes like when votes not on the court, Hummer, when you have Mamadou, Mamadou, Tari Eason, guys like that on the court, small ball lineups essentially, we're going to full court press. You're this gonna team have, is so freaking athletic. When when Chris votes not in, Rapolis is going to be in. When Tari Eason's not in, Mamadou's going to be in. When the Joyce isn't in, Mike Adams Wood's going to be in. Like, yeah, I mean, there's, it's the only person, the only person on this roster who is a probably a must see, you know, 30 minutes a game person is Keith Williams. Like that's the only, that's the only person that's standing off the page that like, if he's not on the court, this team is going to suffer greatly. I agree. I think Keith Williams is the, is the surefire guy to be playing 30 minutes plus per game. Everyone else, it's not clear that that, that's going to happen. And it it probably shouldn't. I mean, if the front, you're going to have fresher legs, you don't necessarily have dominating players. Did Julius, if he's as good as advertised, is certainly a guy that may earn 30-plus minutes as well. He's a knockdown shooter. He's a good ball handler, a very good defender. There's definitely a case to be made that he might get higher minutes as well. But John Brandon has so much depth to play with. I don't remember going into a season like this where 1 through 13, you can envision guys playing some sort of role. Outside looking in, given Victor's inability to get to the States as quickly as some of these other guys are into the program – He's a good candidate to redshirt this first year, especially when you look at how deep our big man rotation is with Chris Vogt, Rapolis, Tari, um, and even Davenport playing in that small ball role as well. I'm sorry, I didn't even mention Mamadou Diara. So it's, there, he's probably a good candidate to redshirt. Mason Madsen is probably a good candidate to redshirt. Uh, I'm jumping the gun there, but that's kind of outside looking in what I would expect. It's, you, you can't play 13 guys every game. You're just not going to. No, and I, you know, our worst, our worst nightmares, our, uh, our worst nightmares coming true here. Um, you know, I think this is a year that we're looking at. Uh, we're going to see a trans, uh, transfer to at the end of the season. Uh, I think that's just something natural that's going to happen with the lack of uh, accessible playing time. Because honestly, I'm, I, the question I'm asking, who's the odd man out? And to me, it's looking like, I honestly haven't seen any practices, haven't seen any gameplay. So this is all just, you know, pure uh, it, yeah. speculation. Speculate. Zach, Speculate. Zach, Zach Harvey's my odd man out right now. Whoa. Odd man out? 
from the guard position, he is odd man out. I've heard John Brandon already talk about expecting a big improvement from Harvey, given his athletic profile, given the skill set he knows he has. He did show flashes of being able to be an impactful defender if he's a bit more disciplined. I don't see him as being an odd man out. I would actually argue he's in the conversation for starting. So then, so you're saying then, oh, I'm just looking at from the guard position. I don't think Jeremiah Davenport, I mean, he could be that odd man out, but I'm talking about from guys that actually, like, we see some potential for minutes, you know, in, in actual country, contrib- contributions. You got Micah Adams Woods, you've got Zach Harvey, you now have. Um, the Julius, uh, the Julius, Keith Williams, Keith Vogue, Williams, Rapalus. Well, I'm just, I'm just looking at the guard position. So okay. four, four solid guards that we have on this team. And one of them, at least two of them are going to see probably decreased minutes because the Julius is coming in and going to take a starting spot, I think for sure. Right. And you know, Keith Williams is going to be a starting spot. So you got Micah Adams Woods and now Zach Harvey basically fighting over that, that third man in that road in that three man rotation. Unless but there's, there's enough to go around for those guys. I think it's going to be challenging. We have a very talented and hyped up first, uh, I'm sorry, freshman class. And I would say the guy from the freshman class that I, I expect to get the most consistent minutes will be Tari Eason. I think it's going to be impossible to keep Tari Eason off the court. I think he's going to instantly come in and be impactful, uh, similar to what we saw with Gary Clark or Jason Maxiel. I think from day one, he's going to be ready for college basketball. The other freshmen, Mike Saunders Jr., the Madsen Twins, and Victor, I think all four of them, it's going to be hard for them to get a clear and, and, and game-in, game-out role on the team. That's not to say they won't see their moments like Zach Harvey did last season, like Jeremiah did last season, but you may go games without seeing them given the depth at the other positions. Uh, I just love pointing out when Go Bearcats has bad information. Uh, Tari Eason does not weigh 120 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they haven't listed as. No, I think basically uh, the only thing I'm pointing out is there's there's a lot of like you point out there's a lot of depth, and if someone's not getting the minutes they think they deserve, they're gonna have issues. Because if I'm not mistaken, too, DeJulius has two years of eligibility with us. Yes. Or is it just one, two years? Two, two years. Um, so DeJulius has two years of eligibility with us. So it's not like it's not a grad transfer situation where all of a sudden, boom, we're gonna have a huge a huge hole open up. We're gonna have. Uh, Keith Williams gone, but no, we're, we're going to have a few guys gone, right? So, let's look at everybody <laughs> leaving. Let's look at everybody leaving. Chris votes gone. Rapalus is gone. Keith Williams is gone. And that's it. Right. Now that is in, well, obviously the, the, the center spot opens up which is good because we're going to have, I think Tari Eason's going to be more than, more than capable of playing a big man role. If he even, uh, if he, if that's what we're really playing him as, but you're going to have Mama do hopefully is, is being able to step up and play that position as well. I mean, we got a lot of, we got a lot of height. You got Victor, you got Rappel. Well, Rappel says has gone. We got a lot of height on that, on that spot. There might be more minutes. There's probably more minutes available than we realize though, especially going into next season, which let's face it, we're getting way ahead of ourselves in that case. I don't think we have any 2021 recruits locked in at this point. There's still going to be opportunities. John Do Brandon, need, does he need to recruit for 2021? He may we have a whole team of freshmen. <laughs> well, uh, he might be entering a situation where he wants to play like Jay Wright did with Villanova, where you've got one big man and basically four guards surrounding him. Guards who can play big, guards who can rebound, but, but you present incredible challenges uh, offensively where teams just don't know how to guard you because you're spreading the court and all five positions can shoot threes. That might be the program. It, actually looks, here. it looks like if, if you're reading the tea leaves, as you like to say, 
Tari Eason is a big man who can shoot. Yes. Rapless is a big man who can shoot. Yes. I don't know anything Mamadou, about Mamadou is a big man who can shoot. I'm, just going, from, I'm going from guys that he's, he's recruited, but yes, oh, right. Mamadou, Mamadou can shoot. Um, uh, Zach Harvey can shoot. Mike Adams Woods can shoot. Like, they're, they're, not all, they're not all great shooters yet. Some of them are, but, but all of them can stretch the floor, and I think that's exactly what John Brandon's going for. Chris Vogt's the guy who doesn't really fit into the lineup construction. He doesn't play the way the rest of the team does. That's still going to be valuable, though, that if you scale back his minutes, you don't require him to play 30 minutes a game, which I think was using him too much anyway. If you can scale him back to 20 minutes a game, he can be incredibly effective during those minutes where you can have spurts of offense where you're running it through Chris Vogt down low. And if he improves his passing, if he improves his ability to make faster decisions, he can be very valuable for the Bearcats. Yeah, that's definitely his – that's definitely Chris's vote. I think his his need for improvement is is decision-making down low, looking for that out – looking for maybe that second pass if, if he's um, being double-teamed, look for that outlet. Especially like you just pointed out, if we're running basically four shooters around you, someone's open, man. Should Get him the easier. ball behind the arc and let's rain, rain threes. Or a score. A... as, as – uh, there's no Chris As Paul. Likes to say, I, said, fire. I said Chris Paul accidentally. I meant there's no Chris McNeil's on this team this season. And the reason I said Chris Paul was that's literally who people were comparing Chris McNeil to last season. I'll never forget it. I'll never forgive you. That was the worst comparison I've ever heard in my life. Let's move on, Hummer. We're kind of uh, we're hitting a point here where we probably want to wind things down. But before we do, we haven't gotten a ton of of talk in terms of football, what's got you excited. I wanted to just start off by asking you, what have you heard or read or listened to about the football team that's got your nipples tingling at this point? All right. I'm loving the quarterback talk. I'm loving that we have a, a, a battle that we know the starter is going to be Ritter, but we know there's some competition there. Uh, I'm loving that we have a nice solid core of, of running backs um, hang on, but let's hang on to that quarterback point. I want to go point by point here. So you love the quarterback talk. That's the thing that has me nervous. I don't, I don't know how to feel about the quarterback position. I'm disliking it. I love, like, that's one of my favorite things about college football in general is that it's not NFL set in stone. We paid you $50 million. You're going to be playing quarterback for us this year. You know, it's, no, there's a battle. There's a battle for quarterbacks. And at any point, if you aren't up for the job, it's always, in college football, it's totally next man up. And I love that about it. And I think that we have great candidates at that quarterback position that are, that could step up if need to, but it keeps everybody, I think, sharp. It keeps them going. Um, I know you, you think you were talking about Brendel's piece earlier where he was kind of a well, little shaky about Ritter. Let me clarify that. So I didn't say it on the podcast. We said it offline. So we've got two guys, Ben Bryant and Desmond Ritter, who are competing for that starting role and coming out of higher ground, coming out of, practices recently it sounds like it's called higher ground (laughs) it sounds like des it sounds like des ritter has a clear grasp on being the starting quarterback and a lot of the talk i hear coming from fickle coming from brendel coming from from other people in the bearcat community is that des is such a good leader he has all the intangibles he's got a a a great grasp of the playbook i want to hear more about his play you know I feel like when the player, when the first thing you go to with the player is about the intangibles, is not about the play, but the, everything he brings to the field from a leadership perspective. I love that stuff, 
that that matters to the team. You do want a quarterback who has poise, who is a good leader. You need him to be able to, to complete some passes. And last season, Ritter struggled with, struggled with injuries, but he wasn't very good. And so what I wanted to hear out of training camp this year is that Des Ritter was dominating, is, is completing passes that he just wasn't making last season, that the overhauled wide receiver group is allowing him to thrive at a level that we didn't see in 2019. That's a big question mark for me. It's something that we definitely have to watch. Ben Bryant, it sounds like, has been too turnover prone. And anytime you hear quarterback and, tuner, quarterback and turnover prone, you know they're not going to be the starter. Coaches just aren't going to have that. If you can't rely on them to, to be safe with the ball and not turn the ball over, they're going to go with Ritter. But it's inc- we need Ritter to take a step up if we're actually going to be a team that, uh, as Desmond Howard predicted, makes the playoff. If that's going to happen, Des needs to be elite this season. And uh, I don't think we've heard if a lot Luke of talk Fickle's about his going play. To, if Luke Fickle is going to make an extra 250K. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so, like, I'm, I get excited about, I get excited about the quarterback. I get excited about the competition at the quarterback position that college brings compared to other, you know, compared to the pro level of football. Cause you know, do you I'm want not, Joe, do you want Joey Burrow competing with someone or do you want Joey ex- Burrow playing? I want him playing. Yeah, you want the best guy playing. I just want there to be a great quarterback who's clearly the starter and is ready to roll out there because, and dominate. Because these are because these are amateur players and they're you know they're they're playing for their you know they're not the getting love paid. Of the, game. the love of the game. Uh, I love watching them like you know play for that. I love watching them actually like the competition of of knowing that you know we don't have a financial commitment tied to your starting position you know we're not just going to keep running you out there simply because you know you're the senior um you know so i I bring you know some good points give you that uh you know you don't want to bring someone out there who turn prone that will drive twitter mad um you see twitter just will go absolutely insane and, and fall off a cliff um well, but let's, this, let's, this talk, is, let's talk about a different position spot. group here. Think about last season. If there was one thing that stood out about the team, it's that they know how to play defense. We were a really solid defensive team. Uh, UCF saw that firsthand when they came to Nippert and got waxed. That, that lineup is actually going to be better this season. They're returning, I think, seven starters. Wiggins is back. He was one of the best defenders, if not the best defender, returning last season before he tore his ACL. He's back. Ahmad Gardner was a first-team All-American last season. And when you consider that Marcus Freeman is coaching this group and he's one of the hottest assistant coaches in the country, it's, it's to be expected this defensive unit is going to dominate the American Athletic Conference. And that is a huge, huge luxury for the Bearcats to have going into the season knowing, hey, we're returning an experienced group. This is a talented group. And we can bank on having exceptional defense game in, game out. I think that's a huge, huge benefit going into a, a weird, funky 2021 season. Oh, it's going to be funky is, is, is the, definitely the word to put it. The defense is going to be good, but I think there's also some expectations from a, from a transfer from Jerome Ford uh, from Alabama, you know, former four-star recruit uh, for the Crimson Tide coming to the University of Cincinnati, replacing, you know, Michael Warren's second, you know, you have you have Dokes, which that's just a fun last name to say. I was wondering, like Dokes. Well, Dokes the last with the time, TD. The last time you were saying that last name is when you were. Did you ever watch Dexter? I did watch Dexter. Sergeant Dokes. 
Oh, <laughs> is that what we're calling him now, Sergeant Sergeant, Sergeant Dokes? Dokes. On the case? You motherfucker! <laughs> That's how my my impression of Sergeant Dokes is. Oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> yeah. so, stupid. so stupid. But you're right. We lost Michael Turner. He's on the Eagles practice squad, and you seemingly have have replaced his production with having Dokes, having the transfer of Ford. And there's, there's other guys in that running back group with Montgomery. Um, they are – the coaches seem confident that we have enough talent at the running back position to be reliable there. I suspect it's still going to be an old-school offense. This isn't going to be fun and gun. This isn't going to be a spread offense that's got, you know, Ritter throwing the ball over the field. It's more likely going to be punishing football, lots of uh, usage of running backs in the passing game. Look, it's not the most exciting offense to watch, uh, but if Ritter can just be a little bit better and if that wide receiver group can be a lot better, it was not talented. They've got some talented uh, transfers coming in, freshmen coming in. If they improve, the offense could – if the offense takes a step up this season, we're going to win the American Athletic. Yeah. Who, how are people not picking us to win the American Athletic? Like, how is this even possible? And on the basketball side – John frickin' Rothstein picking us to finish like fifth in the conference? Oh, what is that you. BS? Thank you for bringing oh my God. that up. Uh, first off, that is just awful. And I was half expecting him when we got the waiver of the Julius. So I was expecting Rothstein to come out and just be like, you know what? With the addition of the Julius of the roster, the Bearcats are now expected to finish sixth in the American <laughs> Athletic because the man just hates us. Like no respect whatsoever. It's not that he hates us. It's that he really only loves teams whose coaches give him that pillow talk. He, he loves that pillow talk. Cronin gave that to him. He loves Mick Cronin. Just absolutely. He loves the Hurley brothers. Loves the Hurley brothers. I think he picked, he probably picked UConn to finish top two in their conference, top two or three, which they haven't done or they never did in the American athletic conference yet. Somehow they're going to go to the big East, which is this high and mighty powerful conference. And they're going to finish top three. Get out of here. Like, oh yeah. It uh, instantly changes because of the conference, the quality of their basketball play. Get out of here. No one, if anybody's been to stores, Connecticut, no one wants to go to stores. It's the coach that brings the players to stores because stores is a terrible place. And if we have any UConn fans listening, great. Your, your school sucks. Its location is awful. Like, yeah, you got Hartford nearby, but that place is a dump. Like the gambit or the get the pavilion that you guys plant, the, the tiles are falling off the ceiling. Come on, get yourself together. A dry campus. Like, it's so hard to find a bar to watch the game at. Connecticut, get out of here. You know what? I'm glad you guys aren't playing football this year. <laughs> Honestly, is there a better way to end the podcast than for you to go on a 30-second rant against the University of Connecticut? Ah. We're not missing them. We're not missing them, especially football season. That's such a trash program. That and everything. Like, for some reason, ESPN just feels like it's necessary to put the, the fake buzzer beater that there's no way that they started the clock on time and able to take two dribbles in a, in a, in a shot in 0.1 seconds. Uh, every, every, like, I feel like they're playing it every three months. Like, Oh my God, greatest shot in college basketball history. No, it's not. For football and basketball, it's going to be a revenge tour this season. We're out for blood. Football team looks good. Fickle's going to get us started strong. Bearcats, Bearcats basketball team is going to finish in the top three. It's, it's a good team. I think it, I think it's a team full of players that complement the style of basketball Brandon actually wants to play. And I think scoring by committee is going to prove to be greater than scoring by Cumberland this coming season. Can't well, wait for it. Um, 
Hummer, anything else you want to get off your chest before we wind down this podcast? Everyone, everyone who's listening, uh, apologies for the layoff the last few weeks. We are going to be much more consistent moving forward into the football season and basketball season. It's good to be back, Hummer. Um, I'll let you send us off. Well, let's just, um, you know, a little housekeeping. We probably should have done this at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, we should mention that, you know, with the cancellation of games against Western Michigan, Miami, and Nebraska, uh, we were able to, John Cunningham was able to, to come through with a big game against Army, uh, which actually I think that's, oh, you're snoozing on that. I thought that was a great game to add. Uh, <laughs> It's not a good way to end a podcast. Army, we're playing Army. Great. I'm excited. Well, you, I think it's important to note that we were supposed to be playing football two weeks last weekend or last week. We were supposed to be having a game this Friday. True. We're Friday, September. I guess. I guess today's it was September third. We were supposed to have our first game on September third. That has come and passed, and instead we open against Austin P, who lost their first game by the way on the night. They're, tr- they're trash. Just trash. Did we expect? I mean, it's Austin P. Why do we play so many openings against them? I, f- I know. I think we looked this up. We don't really play them that much. A nice but it just it seems. It seems like we do. A nice. Warm-up. It seems like we always play. We're them. rambling, Hummer. How are we? How are we ending this podcast? All right. How am I ending this podcast? We're gonna end it by by shouting out Travis Kelsey, who just signed a massive extension with the Kansas City Chiefs. Congratulations on getting paid, and congratulations on getting to play with Pat Mahomes for the foreseeable future. I mean. Great for him. Congratulations to him. Congratulations to Luke Fickle on your extension. It was well-earned, well-deserved. Hopefully it's enough to keep keep Fickle here long-term. Congratulations to Brandon on getting his waiver. Things are looking up for the Bearcats football and basketball programs. Looking very excited, very excited for our first game against Austin P. We were just going to absolutely smack them back to 2004. They are gone. They are, they are nothing. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic football season. We are going to win the national championship this year. Clemson, watch out. We're coming for you. You will not survive the cat attack. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs>